you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hi there, my name is Janine Garner. It is wonderful to welcome you to my podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. If you are listening for the first time, welcome, and I hope that if you enjoy the content, you'll subscribe so that you get notice of when we release new episodes, which are between every week and every fortnight, a conversation that I have with leaders, influencers, change makers, entrepreneurs around the world, all sharing their own stories of how they unleash brilliance. And if you're a regular listener of mine, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your incredible support. If you like what you hear, love it if you left me an awesome review and testimonial. Now, we are in for one incredible conversation today. This is a slightly longer than normal podcast. When you get into the guts of this interview, this conversation, you'll absolutely understand why the woman that I have on the show today is such a game changer, a global game changer. I am talking about somebody that um, actually puts Richard Branson as one of the most influential people in her life that she met. She shares on this podcast the moment when he came out of nowhere. uh, She was on a leadership, uh, leadership retreat and he put his hand on her arm and essentially said, I see you. I see you, Kara Marie. Can you imagine that? And as she shares, it actually unlocked this incredible drive around if Richard Branson can see me, I need to now start believing in myself. This woman has bucket loads of resilience, bucket loads of determination, and she's absolutely on a mission to really ensure that each and every single one of us learns to master the art, master the muscle of humanity, that actually if we understood human intelligence way more than we do currently, how we actually have unlimited potential and how together we can actually drive change. She challenges all of us to actually ask ourselves, what if I could? She shares So many stories from a 16-year-old dying from anorexia to not being able to walk for 12 years and how despite some incredible setbacks, her golden thread of purpose is one around bringing humanity back to the decision table. Please welcome today my guest, the incredibly inspiring Kiri Marie Moore. She is a global influencer, an innovator, and a future thinker. And she's actually developed this um, human intelligence plus decision DNA design approach to developing leadership solution pathways. She creates culture shifts where she works with extremes like global leaders at top decision tables to give voice and advocacy for the front line of humanity. This, she believes, is where she has the opportunity to get to close the gap from problem to solution at the decision table. 
And she challenges every single one of us to stop talking about problems and to actually work towards the solution. Kira Murray truly models this. She partners with world leaders from leading companies, with successful entrepreneurs, with cutting edge innovators and global world movement. She is a disruptor of patterns with the ability to pivot quickly. And she has this innate ability to use the muscle of humanity to unlock the capacity for each and every single person to shift the dial forward. Her initiative, the 1% movement, is all about every single one of us committing to changing things 1%. She continues to lead, to write, to facilitate. She trains across the globe. And she's all about leaving a legacy for humanity. She is a nomadic CEO that spends her life pre-COVID traveling. She's a wife, a mum of six, uh, and a grandparent to three grandkids. She's written books. She's written articles. She's appeared on numerous podcasts and it is such an honor to bring to you today the incredible Kira Marie Moore. I am so excited to have as my latest guest the incredible Kira Marie Moore. You know sometimes in life um these, these, the universe brings people together. You've been following each other's work and then something happens where one of you reaches out and you know that moment you meet someone for the first time that they're actually going to be a long-standing person in your world. And that is really how I felt the first time I met Kira Marie, which was only, I think, about August last year. So, Having got to know Kira Marie, having had lots of awesome conversations, hearing the work that she is doing, I am super excited to have you on today's episode. Welcome, Kira Marie. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. It's great to have you here. So just so our listeners can get a little feel of who you are, let me just do some real quick fire questions and then we'll get into the guts of finding out a little bit more about you. What is your brilliance and uh, really the work that you are doing now to help others uh, really drive their impact on the planet? So can you remember your first job? <laughs> that was, I, I worked in a hot bread shop and hot I would... Shop. I did a hot bread shop. I made the muffins. I served the sandwiches and they had the best donuts with cream inside. And oh, uh, oh the other thing they had mince and cheese pies. <laughs> mince and cheese pies. <laughs> did you have a few of those, Kira Marie? Did you sneak a few? <laughs> So, so here's the thing. That was before the days of I knew I was gluten-free. Wish I had uh-huh. them at that time, but in the same way I wish I don't have known that because, like, they were amazing and I I, can't, I think that's like anything, right? Like when you taste something that you know what that's like and you go, oh, there's nothing quite like it these days. And so, you know, I have to say it was an amazing time of learning as a young kid, um, just working in the local hot bread shop, starting really early. And then if there were leftovers, and I always hoped that it wasn't a busy day, um, I would be able to take some of those home with me. 
Oh, I remember those days. I think one of my first jobs was I worked in a local fish and chip shop. And I remember, you know, it was the shop shut at, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night, hoping that there was some leftover bits and pieces I could take home. I think that's where my love of uh, hot chips comes from. Where are you from originally? So I was born in a little place in Auckland um, in New Zealand and have I've actually lived in Sydney, Australia, well, in Australia, longer than I have New Zealand. It's kind of crazy. That is crazy. Is there a particular book or TED Talk or somebody that you met that uh, really had a significant impact on you? Yeah. So that's an easy answer, that one, because that was Richard Branson. I've had the privilege of connecting with him and spending time with him and getting to know him as just an awesome human. And he really, there were two things the very first time I met him uh, that really made an impact on me. And that was the fact that uh, he came out of nowhere honestly nowhere after a leadership session and he just hit me on the arm and he goes you and he looked me in the eye and he did it again and hit me on the arm and he goes you are amazing and I will never forget that piece because it was like he had seen me he had heard my story he had heard what I was about and it wasn't all crazy because I was starting to doubt myself a lot at that point because I was like I think really differently to everyone else and I'm not sure that this is a good thing or a bad thing I just don't know and he just goes I see you that's what it felt like right it was like you know when the Pope anoints people it was like that one moment where I was kind of like wow if he sees me if he thinks that I'm amazing maybe I am amazing and from that moment I started owning that right and then the other piece was um I remember asking him, like, I go, you must get so many businesses, companies, ideas, solutions at the table. How do you know which one to choose? And he didn't hesitate at at all. He just said, Kira Marie. He goes, I don't go, what do I choose? It's like, who do I know in my world that could do that piece, that piece, that piece? And I was like, oh my gosh, so all this big thinking that I have, it's not all about me after all. It's like who in my world can I, um, you know, collaborate with to make this a real reality? So I'm sure I'm not the only person listening in now that is going, okay, what on earth do you do now, Kira Marie? <laughs> what do I do? I guess um, the biggest thing that I... I love saying is that, you know, there's extremes, say global leadership, frontliner humanity, global problems, global solutions, entrepreneur world, uh, CEO world. There's so much like gap between those. And I get to narrow that gap. I get to go, how do we now look at this from different perspectives and go, how do we narrow this gap so that maybe, maybe we can actually look at humanity as stakeholders at the decision table and and start narrowing that gap from where we are to where we want to be or need to be, depending what that looks like. I love that whole concept. First of all, around humanity 
as being critical to the decision making and narrowing the gap where where or how um do you think that your childhood or the community that you grow up in or those early parts of your life started shaping this absolute commitment around humanity and global leadership and the need for change? Yeah, great question because here's the thing. My whole, and, and you look at my life now, it's an extreme to where I began. So I wasn't one of those kids that were brought up in this most beautiful environment, loving parents, uh, you know, I'm going to encourage you to be whoever you're meant to be. I will give you all that support. I was actually born to a 16-year-old who, and I'm so thankful she gave me up to birth, like that I was given a chance for life. So for two weeks, I waited in hospital going, pick me, pick me. And then I went in and out of families from a very young age. And, you know, I, I... because of that, I was in many situations where there was so much abuse. You name it, it was there. And I grew up for as a young teenager, not knowing who I was, not knowing what I was about, realized I was really different, not just in the way that I was, you know, didn't fit into a family. I didn't fit into the normal around me, the the. Th- I also didn't learn the same way as everyone else at school. So I was, what I've learned now as an adult, I was extremely dyslexic. So I was really smart, but I didn't know how to access that smartness. And uh, so that we talk about extremes. You know, you name everything that my life is now, it's the opposite that I grew up in. And I think that this was a huge part of my learning curve. Like I would never, I never wish that I didn't go through anything that I've gone through in my life because it's part of what has made me to who I am today, what I'm about. And you talk about humanity. Well, I was that kid that didn't have a voice. I was the kid that wasn't advocated for. And I don't ever want any other human to have that. And I think that, you know, if we're not careful what is happening across the globe is actually bringing so much more division. And so, you know, this is even more important today than ever. So can I just go a little bit deeper on that, Kiramori? You talked about I was the kid that didn't have the voice and didn't have people advocating for me. Um, How did that make you feel at the time? Can you remember that feeling of not having a voice, not being advocated for? And as a result of that... What was the resulting behavior? Yeah, so it's interesting because I was actually kind of trying to be the perfect child. So I didn't want to upset the people who were in authority over me because if I did, there were huge consequences. And so I was that kid that tried to fit in. I I was very extremely shy. I didn't talk. I didn't voice at all my thinking because if I did, there was just major consequences. And so that that meant that I grew up thinking that if I said something, I'm going to say it wrong. Meant that if I, when I was growing up, that if I look different, then that's going to make me stand out and that's actually a negative thing. And so I built a lot of things around me and in my thinking 
in what I was doing. And I remember a massive pivotal moment where I was dying of anorexia at 16 and trying to commit suicide, which I don't really ever speak about this thing, but I think is really important because it shows the extreme of where I am now to what I was at at that time. And that really, the funny thing was, it was the first time I was in an environment that actually really supported me and they didn't understand me. They had no idea of what I'd been, what had happened in my past, but they were trying to love me, but I didn't even love myself at that point. So, uh, you know, there was just so much that I took into as a young girl growing up um, and, and, you know, had to hit a few pretty scary crossroads to change from that. And how do you see, you know, from that little girl of, of all of those feelings, all of those experiences, that community you grew up in, as you said there at 16, you were dying from anorexia, um, everything that you've been through. If you now look at the work that you are doing, Kira Marie, how, how does that fit in terms of what you see happening on a global scale for humanity? So if you were to sort of zoom out, how are you seeing almost like that same emotion, that same not having a voice, not feeling like someone's advocating for you, impacting community, leadership, organizations, change, etc.? Oh, my goodness, in so many ways, right? So we all know there's global economic, environmental and social, you know, problems, challenges happening across the globe. And so these are these are huge things. But instead of what what we're, you know, many would say that, okay, it's just too big. Let's not even go there. Like this is just huge. And part of us going there, means that we actually have to get different people who are the stakeholders to be a part of a conversation, to even create an awareness. And this is a huge issue because what if you don't sound like me? What if you don't look like me? What if you don't do it the same way? As humans, we tend to go away from that rather than towards that because that makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us uh, you know, maybe people are going to say things and I'm not sure how to navigate what the, what is being said at the table. And so if this is this is massive. And I think that, you know, part of my work, part of what I'm really about is, is really helping people to master the muscle of human intelligence. And I think when you are being able to to exercise the muscle of human intelligence, we get to understand that it's okay actually to be different. And in fact, we want people to be different at the table because that actually creates opportunity for us to do it differently too. And, you know, this is so, so a lot of what I've learned is I've switched that around going, okay, so I didn't get that opportunity here. But if I was to create the opportunity for leaders across the globe to now have a voice and to change what is happening across the global leadership landscape, what would need to happen? How could we do that? And those are some of the lenses in which I start using when when we are, you know, working with a lot of extremes right now. And so, you know, thinking about 
what you are seeing in terms of the bigger impact and the legacy, um, looking at where you've come from and essentially the work that you are doing in that, you know, you found your own voice, you're an advocate for change, you're pulling in all of that uh, learning today to essentially leave an imprint on the future and to help other people. Um, what in your mind, well, what would be the signs for you to go, I've done it? I'm starting to actually uh, do what I want to do because I know, knowing you personally, there's this hunger and there's this passion and there's this desire and there's this absolute commitment to purpose. So I guess my question is when you have that, how do you know you're on the right path? I think for anything that if anyone's setting any kind of goal result, that it's always, well, how will you know? What are the indicators that this is working or that you're shifting the dial? I always talk about shifting the dial. It's one of the reasons I created the 1% movement. And the 1% movement really is is where I'm now taking something I used to do very much in the room to online. And (laughs) what I love about it is the fact that So when you say, how will you know? So what I'm asking in the 1% movement is what's in your hand? What can you do in your own and commit as an awesome human? What can you commit to, to shifting the dial from problem to solution? Sounds so huge, but every one of us can do it. And I figure if I do my 1%, Janine, you do your 1%, George down the road does his 1%, Mary, we start shifting a dial. And so my 1% on the wall of humanity, I call it, is getting a thousand names of people who are committing to being awesome humans, using what you've got in your hand to start shifting that dial. So for me is if I can get some names up on that wall, I know that we're starting to shift what people are thinking, what people are like, there's an awareness that is starting to happen. And so I think indicators are really important. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's when others are starting to realize that they can put it into play into what they're doing and seeing that as an outplay in the results that they're bringing is so important as well. I think it's when we have a, when I can see we're having more conversations that are different to the conversations that I'm seeing across the globe right now, then I know some of this is putting, you know, this is shifting that dial. And there's so many different ways. Like I've got, that's why I'm, like I believe that we should be creating these ecosystems uh, because I think that there's so many different ways in which people can can start being a part of this and, and shifting that dial because one, here's the thing, one play, one um, one program, one plan doesn't work for all. And you know, we are we bring our uniqueness. We bring. And do you remember reading? I don't know if you did as a teenager, but um, those adventure books. And it's like, mm. which pathway do you choose? And I feel like that's what this ecosystem is about, that you get to choose what those pathways are. So there's many different indicators depending which pathway you choose. And, 
you know, I love that concept of do 1% more or commit to 1%. What, what from your experience and the incredible leaders that you work with around the planet, what stops them? What stops people from uh, not committing to that 1% and instead committing to conformity? It's funny because I literally just got off a huge conversation around this. And I think that there's so many things. There's, you know, as a human, just think of as a human, right? Do we go towards something we don't want to? Do we go towards uncertainty? Do we go towards something that is maybe the harder work? Do we go towards things that make us feel uncomfortable or might go against the grain and maybe even not make anyone else around you comfortable, but it's what you believe. And I think that these are the things that are stopping many of us as humans, let alone across leadership. Mm. For, for you, I mean, you're, you said at the beginning that your life now is so different from where you've come from. Um in terms of what you are doing, you know, just in terms of growing up, you're, you're a mom of, I think it's, is it six kids? Yeah. And grandmom. Um, you, and you're GD to three. 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 Oh my gosh. And uh, I love the legacy that you're wanting to leave as well around this being a nomadic CEO, like this desire and this passion that you have for traveling the world and working with other cultures, etc. But what I'm curious about is, is, in that journey from the you know the child the 16 year old to where you're at now what's the the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome in terms of setting yourself on this path of doing the work that you know you've been put on the planet to do mm. i think there's so many right like i think one of the things that i'd love the listeners to understand is that i think that we have we, we're used to being told what to do. And I think that as a 16-year-old, as that young girl, I was used to the way systems worked around me. I was used to biases of people around me. I was used to conforming to what that looks like. And I think, uh, you know, part of what I really know as part of my work is that I give you the, the lenses to work through and through that, it depends what, again, what pathway is needed for you to run your race. And I think when you're confident to be able to use lenses that are different, it's a whole different ball game. Your capacity grows. Everything about you grows. When you don't, like as that young girl, I was, you know, I was unable to, there was no freedom because that's didn't actually fit for who I was meant to be. So where it was, I was really different as a young girl. That is now my genius zone. That is me working at a level. I, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I get words around the wrong way. I, it's one of the reasons I've slowed mo- the way that I talk down. Because when you, when I talk at the speed that I'm usually talking at, I can mess my words up. And so I've learned ways to do it better and to be able to use it as a strength. But here's the other thing. I I work in my left and right brain. Most people work in one side of your brain. I write with, I'm ambidextrous. I write with my left. I write with my right, depending what mood I'm in, depending what I'm doing. It's interesting. It really, truly is. And 
where this was, I mean, I was in the the age where I got wrapped over on my right hand, uh, sorry, my left hand because I was writing at school with my left hand. And so they said, you're only meant to write with your right. And so I had to learn a whole way of, of being something that I really truly wasn't. And I realized that this wasn't beneficial to being and playing at the level that I really believed that I was meant to. I always knew somewhere along the line that there was a bigger purpose to me. You know, I, I, I've i been literally in life and death situations and I figured that if I made it through that, that whatever you believe, I believe God. So like God has given me a purpose that is bigger than me, that is beyond me and obviously wanted me to live through that. So I better use that every single day. And I think that it's when you can get beyond you. I've got so many limitations, you know. I've got so many things that I'm I'm actually extremely introverted. I I literally clam up when I have to meet new people, go into new situations. And I could use that as an excuse or I use it to going well, is this part of the bigger purpose to my life? Is this part of the bigger vision? And I think when you've got a vision beyond your own self, that vision becomes part of your, you know, if you ask me what holds my vision, I've got drivers. And part of that is just, you know, patterns. That That's part of it because I think that when you know how to disrupt patterns to change it, you get a different result different outcome and you can um your success is so different and so like I've got the power to do that within me and so that's why mastering the muscle of human intelligence became so important and then like the other side is humanity why because I was that child that didn't have a voice what if I was able to give others a voice what would that mean? How would that mean? And if I stick to my excuses, my limitations, like I'm dyslexic, like I'm shy, like I'm an introvert, then is that going to serve the bigger vision? Actually, no. And then I bring it to this other question and I go, well, not only is it not going to serve the bigger vision, but is it going to serve humanity? Is that going to add value or take away? Is it going to shift me from problem to solution or am I always going to stay at problem? The good thing about me, I'm massively results orientated. So the thought of staying at problem mm. absolutely annoys me and like it annoys me more than the fact that I might have to do something uncomfortable. And um, so, you know, those limitations can be swapped over to what are your drivers? And so humanity, patterns, uh, culture. So you mentioned I was nomadic and, uh, you know, moved throughout the world. It became so important to me to travel, to learn from different cultures. What I realized is you don't know what you don't know, but when you do, there's a responsibility. And what I found out was there was so much I didn't know as I traveled the world. I didn't know why people made decisions um, in Croatia. I didn't know what they had to deal with to to kind of get them to being quite a strong yet almost less less heart 
on the outside yet huge heart on the inside and the fact that there's so many people who are working three roles because they don't have access to the economic you know privileges that we do maybe over here in Australia and then you know there's there's so many insights that you can gain from from being involved in you know I I've had the privilege I continue to have the privilege of working in places like Fiji and you know, I've sat with children listening and learning from them in the in the remote villages and then sitting with a leadership. And by the way, all of them being male, females sitting behind, and I'm of course a female, that is it's just such an interesting thing. And then talking with the chief of the village to see how we can help, you know, make better decisions that are gonna help and benefit the sustainability of the village because here's the thing the kids were learning outside of the village they go away they don't want to come back in that village will die eventually if you you keep doing that so how do you sustain a village that you know has to move with the times as well there's so much that i would miss out on humans would miss out on if i stayed with my limitations there there is so much genius and brilliance in what you said and you know one of the things that is so consistent with you your approach to life the work that you do is very much this this commitment to attention out that your life and the impact that you're here to make is way bigger than you um and that's what's inspiring i, I guess my question from there go naturally goes to so so as an individual that has got so much significant purpose doing such incredible work to support so many people from the individual like myself to the community like the community in Fiji to global leaders to the work that you're doing with governments who's feeding you like who do you look at that you go I can keep going here. I, I'm in, I'm re-inspired. I know that, you know, essentially who's feeding your your cup? Yeah. I think this is such an important and I'm so glad you're asking it because, you know, with last year with a pandemic, I saw by the end of the year and myself included in this one, by the way, so many people absolutely exhausted by the end of the year. A lot of leaders had to step it up. A lot of leaders had to give out. A lot of leaders were putting into their communities and what I saw by the end of it was how you know like exhausted humans and I was like this year is going to be so different in that way so part of what refuels me is um, or has been I should say was when I got to speak on global stages and I have to say one of them in particular it, it was it was one of those that even took everything in me not to freak out on because everyone had, you know, all those letters after their names yeah. <laughs> and, and like, like they dressed really different to how I dress. They looked really different and I felt really different in the room and I'll never forget it. So I shared the stage. I spoke first and then the guy that I shared the stage, he was the co-founder for the medical, um, NASA Medical Institute. And so there was a moment that I could have felt less than. 
and and I remember standing on it and I think that this is so important anytime you do something like this but I just I brought the you know the pink elephant to the room from the starter and I said I probably don't look like you I probably don't sound like you and I probably look really different to everyone else in the room and you could almost see the sigh of relief that I brought it to their attention and and I said so here's the thing that's good because you've probably never met anyone else like me that thinks like me, has done the things that I have, or maybe ask questions quite the same as I do. And they were like, oh, okay, yep, we can work with this. And the other side of it was I was also walking with a stick at that time. And I remember that I brought that to the attention and I said, and, and by the way, you probably see this stick. Now, this has been part of my journey, but every time you hear that as I walk across the stage, just think of that as a, like, that's the tap of resilience. That's the tap of someone who will not give up no matter what's thrown at her. That's the tap of someone who's making footsteps that is leaving a legacy behind. I just used a whole lot of things. And then the third thing is, you probably notice that I don't have the letters after my name, like many of them, like you could understand it was the first astronaut to space. Like I was sharing the stage with so many phenomenal global leaders. And, uh, but I said today, I have the privilege to represent humanity. And I can tell you that was the most amazing moment of my life to be able to say that. And to be a voice for humanity at a such grand, it's such a grand stage for me at that time. And I never looked back from that moment because I was like, I get to, I get to be a voice today on it. And here was the thing: you could have almost thought, and I think this is really interesting because you could have almost thought that what he was saying and what I was saying was totally against. So. He was bringing very much the academic and medical and the creating solutions that were just amazing, by the way, from the Medical Institute. And I was bringing a lot of my insights of traveling the world, of uh, seeing what is working, what's not working on the front line, amazing conversations, amazing incubators with so many smart global leaders and realizing that many of the time we are creating innovating um, solutions that haven't even got the right stakeholders at that table, mm-hmm. that we're not even asking the people on the ground. Do you know, I came off that. They then interviewed both of us and it was pretty interesting and I was like, whew, got through that. I was coming off the stage and he whispered in my ear and he said, Kieran Murray, I just want to say I wish you could do this exact speech at the Medical Institute. NASA Medical Institute and he goes it's the best needs analysis I've ever heard do you know what was heartbreaking about that I mean it was awesome I was like wow I've made it you know in that way that you go there's an indicator I'm in in these circles and all of a sudden I've got a voice right so that that's an indicator but beyond that was oh my goodness, this to me is just A plus B equals C. And I think there's so much we can learn when we're willing to learn 
There's so much we can gain when we're willing to go places that maybe other people aren't. There's so much we can develop and change the results that are happening right now if we're willing to look at the patterns of this and get uncomfortable with maybe some of the things that have to happen for that change to happen. And, uh, you know, this is all part and part of what is the pathway? Where do you actually want to be? What does that need to look like? And I think every single one of us has that opportunity. It's just are you wanting to continue to do it the same way or would you really seriously want to be part of the change? And that that comes down to each one of us going, what are we, now that we're aware of it, now that we know what we know, what responsibility, what ownership are we going to take of that? And then what is that change that we actually want to see and are willing to step up and do? Uh, and then and then, how do we create those sustainable solutions at the table? In other words, what are those solutions we're bringing that is leaving literally the footsteps for the generations and the generations and the generations to come? I love the picture as well that you just created in sharing that and thanks for sharing that around you walking and the sound of the stick. And within that story, that word that you said around resilience, to me, whether it's resilience, great determination, whatever it is, but essentially what you're saying is an absolute commitment and intentionality to keep going. Um now I know because I know the story, but maybe you can just give us a, a short, a short version of it because that resilience that you talk about to keep going, that determination to keep having a voice and advocating for humanity, and the analogy with the stick actually goes way back further than you using the stick because you actually couldn't walk at one stage, could you, for years? Yeah. Yeah. Are you quick? Can you share just the 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 story so people can truly get a sense of the fire in your belly to keep going on this? Totally. So I've had I've had I think like anyone we have those cross those uh, crossroad moments I call them literally, and so I've had a few of those crossroad moments, and I keep thinking, oh, okay, I've hit a challenge hit me with one maybe and I don't say that by the way anymore because like I'm like okay I'm over these challenges I've learned the lessons I just want to get on with life now Uh, I've got this I know resilience I know how to do mental toughness I wrote the book um and so I don't I literally don't say that anymore but here's the thing 12 years ago almost to the day I ended up having um I I just had a baby I was so I and she, and she was beautiful. She was three months old. I went downstairs. Now, anyone that knows my husband knows he's not a house, you know, good at housework. It's not his forte. In fact, he stays right away from it. He decided to mop the floor. And so I had no idea. He didn't know that you were meant to dry it afterwards with a mop. So I came down. I was about to show him something with the, the baby that was in my arms. And I came sliding off. And what I had done was I had tore my ligaments so severely um, that it was a big shocker. But the big shocker was overnight I literally got a condition in my body where I lost the use from the hip to the toe. So I became the one-legged. 
uh, chick and literally ended up in a wheelchair. It became, it actually took over my body. And the crazy thing was I was at the fittest, the healthiest. I was in the fitness industry. I was absolutely like I was really tiny. And, um, you know, health was number one in my, my journey in that way. And so for, I ended up in this wheelchair. And I remember at the one-year mark, I was in with all the specialists and they, they just looked at me and their faces gave it away. And they said, Kira Marie, you've got this condition so bad in your body, you're never going to walk again. Do you know, Janine, that was one of the best things anyone can say to me. You're never going to. I always take that never going to and go, what if I could? What if I, like, if I do this, what does that need to look like? And I began that journey to go, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to run again. And I have to say, so I, and I do this with everything. It's exactly what I did when my son was born with his brain damage all over his brain and speckles on the other side and told not to, he would never talk again. Uh, you know, we'll never talk because that was the bit that was, in fact, he probably wouldn't even live. And I was like, no, we've got these brain cells and we don't even access them. How can we access them and find a different pathway to get the result that we want? And I did, I did exactly the same with Ethan. I did exactly the same with me getting out of the wheelchair. I do exactly the same with clients. I go, okay, how big do you want to play? No, let's step that up even bigger. What? You want to do that? Nah. If nothing was stopping you, what would you want to do? And they go, oh, I'd want to do this. Okay, now tell me your starting point, right? And I go, okay, so we've got a bit of work to do to narrow that gap. And what is exciting about it is there's always pathways to find it. We've just got to know what the shifts are to be able to, you know, continue to get on those pathways that we need to to get the result that we want. And so I began doing that very much with coming out of a wheelchair. And honestly, it was so tricky. I, you know, ended up with two crutches as I first began to take some weight on it. It was such a horrible journey. I'll never forget going to the gym, everyone looking at me, tears pouring down my face as I couldn't even get a shoe on my foot. Uh, and I was trying to do, you know, bench um, exercises and I didn't look the part. I didn't feel the part, but, and with tears streaming down, because I had conditions that you live, like I actually got two conditions in the body in the end, and you live with pain 24-7. And so I've had to navigate, how do you get out of that pain? How do you get the body to really recalibrate to where it needs to be? And, and it's been an amazing journey, and I've learned a lot from it. And I continue to have to work really hard to keep getting to my next level. But this is where I think leadership is at, that if we think of a new approach to leadership and where leadership needs to go, that actually part of this is the fact that we are evolving. And as humans, we are continuously evolving. So why as leadership, wouldn't we think of doing it that way too? The other thing that I hear, thank you for sharing that story um, because, oh, just before I ask my next question, and I'm crossing my fingers so I don't forget to ask it, um, again, to put it into context for the listeners, that journey from accident to being able to walk, and you've just done the 75 hard, and anyone that knows that, that's two lots of exercises each day. How long has that journey been? 
12 years, literally. And now I'm starting to even, so it wasn't until uh, I think it was June or something last year, maybe just before it, um, that I actually stopped using a stick. So I went from wheelchair, two crutches, one crutch, then really heavy like old person's solid stick kind of thing to a less stick to then walking sticks as in those exercise walking sticks to one walking stick and now I walk unassisted and I'm even doing little sprints. Um, yeah, look at you. You even got some awards for it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, even this year I entered two races, uh, virtual races, and you could run it or walk it. And I just thought it was so – I just laughed because one of the – the um, names of it, which is very Aussie, is the Wombat Waddle. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, that is so me. But I was so proud when I got those two medals. It was, I don't know, the Tasmanian um, Dash, I think, was one of them, and the Wombat Waddle. And I, when I got Yep. And when I got those medals, I was so proud because again, it was an indicator that I was shifting the dial, that I was, I had gone from this, this girl that, you know, uh, couldn't get out of a wheelchair to a, um, you know, now getting two medals. That's incredible. Now the question I want to ask, because um, running through everything that you do and even that story that you shared about being told you'd never walk again, and uh, you saying actually telling me never gonna makes me actually ask myself what have I could. And so underpinning this is your commitment to always go deeper on the questioning of the importance of asking questions. So what I'd love to ask you from, because it's something you do naturally, I think it is one of your superpowers to actually ask the deeper question or ask the questions that aren't being asked. Why? Is it so important and uh, what should we really be asking right now as leaders? Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, again, when I used to ask questions as a kid, there were consequences to it. So to have the freedom as an adult to be able to ask any question, I think that is just glorious in itself. And I always think of it as curiosity, right? Like being able to ask questions isn't because I'm, and I think that this is, this is something that we are so used to. We've kind of been conditioned to that when you're asking questions, you're trying to get something out of me. You're trying to uh, lead me down a pathway. My questions aren't like that. My questions are never intentional of, I want a certain answer. In fact, I, I put things in place on purpose to make sure that I don't bring my biases into asking that question or a question. I think we we miss out on so much by asking a question and thinking we know what the next piece is. And the day that I didn't do that and I began not to do that was such a life-changing thing because I realized, wow, I can actually go down layers and when we get to play in those layers, we get to find out often what are the grassroots problems, what are the grassroots thinking to why you even began doing this or what that looks like. And here's the thing, that's where you get to disrupt patterns because you actually find out what are all the different things, the different layers and how do we connect that link 
that loop right back to actually bringing that solution through that pattern that you've created or are creating or need to disrupt, right, depending who you are and what's happening. So questions became such an integral part and, and a massive part of what I do and the power of what I do because I realized that even, you know, I, I do these daily conversations on the decision table and part of, it's funny because someone was saying, you should be talking more about you. And I go, no, that's not, that's not the outcome I want on here. The outcome is that I am willing to have a conversation with someone else, use a lens and I have no idea where that conversation is going to go. I've got no idea what they're going to say. Often I haven't even met them before coming on the decision table. But I think that this is important because you get to see. And one of the things I don't do is I don't say, hey, this is Janine. And she's this amazing person who, you know, is teaching you on how to be brilliant and bring that into leadership. Like I don't go there because I think there's a lot of who we are is identified by the fact that you are a certain thing and then conditions or like biases come into play because we're conditioned to think if you work in leadership you must look like this kind of leader or do leadership this way and I think that you miss out on so much goodness and so much of the learnings when you have that as your framework. And uh, so one of the things I do is I just want to see the human side of them. I want to learn why they've made these decisions. I want to see how I could take on that and maybe be a more effective leader by actually listening well, by learning because someone has a different perspective and go, okay, like this can shift that dial from problem to solution. You know, a lot of what's happening across the globe is not bringing collaboration or the collective to the table it's bringing more division because you know when we are different this kind of clashes against some of the systems that have been built or put in place this goes against some of the conditionings that we're used to in in a lot of places that make a lot of the decisions well how do we do that how do we navigate if we're going to keep just you know, messing around at the surface of things, we have to go back to the root of things. We have to go to what is, what are the learnings that we can learn when we are bringing different distinctions to the table? And how can we make better decisions because we're asking different questions? Better questions and better questions, I think. Kira Marie, as we sort of wrap up this, this podcast, if I could... If I had some magic wand to be able to bring 16-year-old Kira Marie onto this podcast right now, and there were two of you in one place at the same time, what would you say to her? Yeah, I would say that you have a voice and you have people, if you're willing to look for them, that will have your back, that will help you. You don't need to know everything. You just need to start dreaming. You need to start moving towards it. And you need to you need to not give up even when those challenges come your way. That actually, you know, you can go quite prepared to this and you've got smarts. You know, I, I mentioned a little bit about the human, the muscle of human intelligence. Here's the thing around that, and I wish that I'd been able to know this as a 16-year-old 
the human intelligence to me is the data that we have as a human. And we can choose what we do with that data. We can use different things to make sure that we can put thing, that healthy data into us. We can get rid of some of that data that doesn't serve us. We can gain more data that's going to help us and add value. I wish I knew that, you know, life is a learning ground in front of me and that I could have and I can evolve and that it's, you know, we don't know everything. We're learning as we continue to do it. And and that to me would have been so powerful as a 16-year-old knowing those things. What a wonderful message for for me to actually pass on to my children but also to just percolate on as well. And I want to thank you for just so many thought starter gems um, during this conversation, you know, that um, the, the subtlety of meeting Richard Branson and all he needed to say was, I see you. Um, I, I'm curious. I wonder how many people listening to this is to ask themselves, is that all you need? Is it, You just need someone to see you to unlock your brilliance. The, the conversation around how a life of extremes is actually in reality, giving you the superpower now and the inner motivation to do the work that you're doing. And the importance of asking different, better, more curious questions of uh, not the no and we're never gonna and things are staying the same to actually what if I could. And your challenge to everybody really to master this muscle of humanity that you talk about of really trying to understand the power of human intelligence and that with that comes unlimited opportunity to learn from the differences, to learn from the diversity, to learn from everybody's experience, experiences so that collectively we can make better decisions for our families, our teams, our community, our organizations, our leadership, our world. And I think, you know, I just Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Um, I guess just to wrap this up, um, bringing it back to to the title of this podcast um, of Unleashing Brilliance, what what does that mean to you? Unleashing Brilliance. I think it's when every human has a voice at the table and is able to be able to bring their genius zone whatever that looks like. Maybe it's something that you've learned from the culture that you've grown up in. Maybe it's because you've gone through some tricky things and and you bring learnings from that. Maybe it's because you've studied, you know, the history of something and, and so you bring that to the table. And I think unleashing the brilliance is when you can be, have a voice at the table, you bring your genius zone to it and together as a collective, and this is so important, as a collective, we begin together to shift the dial from problem to solution. Oh, Carol Marie, thank you so much for your time today and for inspiring so many people uh, with our conversation. I have no doubt that there are many 
that are now putting their hands up and going, how do I get involved in the 1% movement? How do I find out more about how Kurumari can help our organization, our leaderships have better conversations to make better decisions? What's the best way that people can find you or reach out to you, Kurumari? So firstly, thank you. What a privilege to be here. What a privilege to, uh, you know, have have a amazing space here to to just bring some insights, some thoughts and thinkings around it. So I really appreciate the fact that you're doing this, Janine, and uh, that you provide a space for this. And I think the more the more we can create awareness, the the different that's how change happens right and so for me the best spot for you to get hold of me is the one percent movement I just want um, awesome humans you know deciding what have I got in my hand what can I do and and it's funny because when you do that so for me it's a thousand names on the wall of humanity is my first one thing give it a you know make sure that when you put your your one thing in that it's something that we can go I get it and there's a time frame to it or so that others can go I see what you're doing over there Janine I see what you're doing over there you know uh, whoever it is um, and maybe we'll collaborate or maybe we can see how we can support each other and I think that this is important so the one percent movement or it's also called the wall of humanity at the leaders movement so any of that will get you there I'm on social media so you'll find me the decision table is another good spot we are doing daily conversations around there. Janine, you were on there. And, you know, if you're just wanting to learn more, listen more, then that's a good spot too. So, and that's on YouTube. It's on my profile. So just check, check it out. I'm there. Kimberly, thank you so much. And thank you on behalf of humanity for the work that you are doing and your commitment to driving change. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.